Hi, my name is Sydney Mitchell. Hi, I'm Matthew Brickman, Florida Supreme Court mediator. Welcome to the Mediate This podcast, where we discuss everything mediation and conflict resolution. We are happy to have back on the show today, Matthew Barrick. For those of you who missed the last time he was on the show, I encourage you to go back and listen to our previous episode with Matthew. And for those of you who are new for the first time, Matthew is considered by many as the fixer in Massachusetts family law. He has over 20 years of family law experience. His prestigious career includes winning two landmark family law cases in the Commonwealth pertaining to the new Alimony Reform Act and child custody. Matt has been ranked as a top 10 family law attorney in Massachusetts by the American Jurist Institute and as a top 100 lawyer in America by the American Society of Legal Advocates. Welcome back, Matthew. We are excited to have you back with us again today. Awesome. So, all right. So, so I want to switch gears now because now, now that you're talking about mobile society and time sharing, we've had a pandemic that's affected our ability to be. Mobile. Oh, we have. Yeah, yeah. We've had this. Pandemic. I, I, I didn't get the memo on that. Oh, you didn't get the memo. You're still traveling and going everywhere. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so what have what what have you run into with like issues regarding the time sharing and custody and a parent being fearful of a child being exposed, like? during this pandemic how oh gosh you run into you know if i had a dollar for everybody that that calls me about can i travel with my kid or if i do this you know i want you know particularly when the pandemic like things are starting to 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 change right and so things have gotten better with the vaccine and stuff but you know the earlier days of this you know it was it, it, it was it was tough uh in terms of people having you know do i bring my kid to that house you know, right. so I didn't even do that so that it started it. yeah it, st- it started with that and I thought you know our chief judge here made a the very beginning of it his message to the family law bar was that essentially that the rule of law prevails yeah and and you know you, the custody orders have to be maintained yeah and court order that's you get a new court order yeah, and that's exactly, you know, what he said. And that didn't stop some people from not bringing people to parenting time and, sure. and stuff. But I, I think that's really what is the message. And now that we're starting to come out of it, I I kind of believe, I, I had done for our family law bar down here, uh, sort of a symposium and, uh, and, a, and a panel. And and we were, we wrote a white paper. This is this is back in August. It was sort of right when we were sort of still in the thick of things. And what really came out of that was that just because we're in a pandemic doesn't change our laws. Right. The, you know, the laws remain the same. Um, our courts are going to return, and the rule of law needs to prevail. So we're not going to have we're not really supposed to have special rules for the for the pandemic. And certainly. People can try to change orders or modify orders or, or alter orders. And certainly people had to make some decisions, you know, at various times. You know, do I let during the, in the more in the middle of this, do I let my child go to, you know, Disney World, you know, with in, in, when they have to quarantine, come back for two weeks and say, I'm on vacation when I have sole legal custody. You know, there, there were things that came up that were, were temporal or, or parenting time that they need to be made up. But I think really the theme and the message to me uh, has been that we, we're not adjusting our laws. 
and that and that goes to everything i think in, in divorce um you know i have some folks that own restaurants you know how do you value those uh and you know and when and, you know there's been certainly interesting issues that come up but i think thematically i think what's been important is to remember that we don't make special rules or special laws for the long term there yeah. might have been some short-term stuff right but in the long term the same marital division of assets and the same law is going to be applied the same best interest of the child standard is ultimately going to be applied and so i think that is getting through the rough areas with certain events that come up uh you know like shuffling kids back and forth between households which came up all the time sure. you know well they're not they're not social distancing yeah. they're having people over in dad's house and i'm not sending my my child yeah you know and, it, and it, some, some of them got away mom. some of them got away with it and some of them didn't and yeah. some of that time will be need to be made up but ultimately orders should be orders mm-hmm. and having continuity and consistency in orders related to children are important and maybe even more so during a pandemic yeah, but right. so that's you, sort of what that was the message that came out of it. I thought. Yeah, so you don't particularly see there being any long-term effects, you know, as the laws are staying the same, um, you know, for parties down the road with their negotiations. You don't see there being any significant long-term effects of the pandemic on what those negotiations might be. No, because here's what, I, what I'm starting to think. I might have said something differently six months ago, but I think that things seem to be coming back. Um, at this point uh and so if things continue on this you know trajectory mm-hmm. where you know we're back in court full time in, in in three or four months and you know people aren't wearing masks i heard today and i read it i think in massachusetts is not gonna have the mask mandate it's not, it's the cdc announced this week that they're getting rid of it too so certainly people are have the ability now readily to get vaccinated and all those things so i think we're kind of pushed through knockwood right so it seemed like that was a, a temporal period of 12 months, 14 months when yeah. things are a little haywire, but you're not going to change your whole body of law and upend things sure. as we move forward. Right? right. I think so we're kind of like back to where we are. And I think, you know, I think that's going to be the prevalent wisdom. So my message to folks has been, you know, it was a temporal event. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the courts were, were, were closed for a while. They were slow. I mean, that's really the effect. One of the effect mm-hmm. is, uh, so at least neck. I mean, like, like we're like, Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that's true across the country. I mean, you know, we, there's thousands of cases that we're not getting decisions, you know, that the, the family law bar, the whole state isn't getting decisions on, um, you know, people, the staff hasn't is well behind on, on cases from what I understand. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's a total, total bottleneck. That's really the effect. Yeah. We're, not, we're not getting our days in court, but the effect or the practicality of the, of the change in the law from the pandemic, I don't think so. Yeah. I right. think that's, I mean, I might, I might have felt differently six months ago, but I, I just, I don't, I don't see it. I think it, I think that as we move past it, it was a temporal event, you know, maybe, parenting time needs to be made up or things mm-hmm. like that. But I don't see how, I don't think it's going to actually impact ultimately um, how you get folks divorced or, or the law. I mean, well, I shouldn't say that, how, how the laws apply. I think it does impact how people get divorced because everything is bottleneck. So it's taking mm-hmm. a lot, a lot longer. And I think that, 
I think we as practitioners need to be more creative in our approaches. We need to look not to the courts. You know, I, I asked, I had six judges in the panel that I ran. I did a follow-up to the panel a couple months ago. And I asked, you know, I think I asked the, the, one of the couple of judges, I said, do we really need the courts? I mean, as practitioners, should we be settling cases out of court? Should yeah. we be privately arbitrating cases? Should we be mediating cases, conciliating cases? Like, do we have a duty because of the bottleneck, so to speak, of not going to court? And I think in some ways that's really the effect because if you can't get an order in a timely manner and you can't get a decision in a timely manner, is court really the way to go? Well, and, uh, I, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, Matthew, as, as a mediator, um, and, and, and in Florida, I'll give you an interesting statistic. So in, I think it was 2017, 2018, uh, in two years, there were just under 4 million cases filed in the state of Florida. And everything's got to go to mediation by statute. So, yeah, um, so, so 82% of the cases filed got settled in their very first mediation. And 18% said, no, we're going to trial. Well, 15 of the 18 settled either in a second mediation between counsel, between parties, you know, after some more discovery, depositions, whatnot. And only 3% actually went to trial, which really, you know, in, in, in Florida, the judges um, and, and, and in, in Palm Beach County where I am, it's interesting because the judges, especially in Palm Beach County, say, before you can even, before we will even give you a hearing date, you first have to go to mediation, produce a conference report that says you've at least tried to settle it yourself. And if you don't, then fine, we'll give you a date. But 10 days prior to seeing us, you have to go back to mediation and try to settle it yourself. We don't want to settle it. It's really interesting because then, we have, our percentage is 97%. Of Kate, we don't have we don't have the rigorous mediation statute you folks have, but okay. we, our percentage has historically been ninety seven percent to cases settled. And that's which is awesome. And so what? And, and especially you know going back to like kid issues, a lot of judges don't want to deal with kid issues. Like you know you know I mean, and I I, I could imagine you know as a judge, I wouldn't want to start dictating to a family have blood on my hands if something goes wrong, right? And so. And so a lot of times with kid-related issues, you know, equitable distribution is equitable distribution. We got a data marriage, data filing, it's marital, let's get values, split it down the middle, okay, fine. You know, if there's marital dissipation and waste, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. But other than that, like kid issues, I've actually had it where the parties could not figure out kid issues. They, they, they came to me for mediation, they did not settle. They got their date. 10 days prior, they came back to mediation, still couldn't figure it out, went in front of the judge. The judge refused to figure it out, but sent them back to mediation with explicit instruction to figure out the kid issues. And so then they came back to mediation to then figure out the kid issues. But the judge was like, I, I look, I'll give you explicit instructions. You know, they were arguing over the, you know, the percentage of time sharing, you know, um, and the judge said, look, it's 50-50, go back to mediation, figure it out. I don't care which 50-50 schedule you do, but you're doing equal. Go and take control of your life, which I think is good. Um, yeah, absolutely. Then, then it does not create that bottleneck. One of the things that we saw here in Florida, too, um, with the pandemic was in the very beginning. I've always said that um, the, the, the legal field has been one of the most technologically challenged industries, I think, ever. 
Um, Excellent point. No doubt. No doubt. So when the pandemic happened, so what's interesting, I actually, so I've been mediating for 14 years. And in 2009, I had this idea of, well, why can't I mediate virtually? So back in 09, long before wow. the Zoom and everything, I'm, I'm like, okay, how do you do this? So I contacted Microsoft. I contacted Cisco WebEx. I contacted this other little company. And nobody had any platforms other than, okay, we could Skype two ways. That's it. You couldn't do multiple, you know, multiple parties, couldn't do virtual rooms, couldn't do everything that we're doing now, right? Well, so I found this young kid at Cisco and he was fascinated by mediation. He was like, wow, that sounds like a great job. So I told him, I said, I, you know, can you, and they, but he said, look, we don't have anything. I said, well, can you build it for me? So, so I worked with this kid for about three months and they built me my online platform. And I've been doing virtual mediation um, in state, out of state and around the world since 2009. Wow. I have spent, Matthew, That's I've spent cool. thousands of dollars advertising. All I needed was a pandemic. That's all oh, I yeah. did not know that. You, 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 you were just waiting for that. We were just waiting for that. And as soon as, <laughs> it, hit, as soon as it hit, I sent out an email to all the attorneys, 600 attorneys I've worked with in 14 years going, hey, remember I have, because everyone's scrambling around, like, how do we right, do this? Right, mm-hmm. yep. And they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, you've had this system. And it's Cisco WebEx. Like, it's one of the largest communication companies in the yeah, world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, all you, had, you, you could have invented Zoom. Well, okay. So, so speaking of Zoom, from what I hear is, is one of the engineers or whatnot left Cisco WebEx and went and created Zoom. So, right, yep. whatever. But, wow. but in any case, so I've been doing virtual. But one of the things that happened here in Florida was the judges, as soon as a pandemic happened, and then it was like, okay, we've got to start open. The judge was like, we're not. I'm not sitting on a computer screen and looking all day long. Mm-hmm. And so they refused to do cases. Well, that created a backlog. Finally, they were like, okay, how do we figure this out? They went to Zoom and trying to figure out all the technology of how do we do this? And finally, they've embraced it. And at least here in Florida, they have now said, wow, you know, so much, so many of the different hearings, we don't ever need to probably have those in, in, in person anymore. Like, you know, a unified motion calendar, which is a five minute hearing in the morning, like we don't need to leave the office, go park, go through security, go to court, sit there with all the other people for a five minute hearing. We can just log on and be done. And the efficiency, they're starting to see there's an efficiency to moving certain cases, even mediations. They're like, I don't know if we ever need to go in person again. Like we can do virtual. It's totally true. Same same thing, same thing here. Yeah, no, the same thing happened here. I think it's probably universal for all across the country. The judges at first were a little bit um, tepid about stepping in and doing Zoom and, and all those kind of things. And then they realized that, you know, like you said, the legal profession is always so far behind technology, technologically. And then they said, all right, we better do the Zoom. We better move the cases or this is going to be more of a disaster than it already was becoming. And then they started doing it. And then I think a lot of us have concluded, concluded that there are so many – in court events that can be handled by WebEx, Zoom, whatever, whatever your platform is. Not everything. No, not everything. I think some, one of the judges said that like pre-trials, it's kind of a seminal event here for us. A lot of times we settle our cases at the pre-trial. It's kind of commonplace before you get that trial date. And there is something about when you're in person at that pre-trial, you know, you're writing the agreement up, you're scribbling it up and it gets done because it's before you get that trial date. So that immediacy is lost. 
But other events, like arguing motions, I've argued three appellate cases in the last 12 months, including a Hague removal international you know, case in front of the U.S. Court of Appeals on Zoom. I am losing anything, yeah. lose sleep on it. So I think, you know, there are events that are more efficient by the use of technology and lawyers need to embrace technology like you did in 2009. Well, fantastic. The efficiency, like, I mean, and, and, and it's interesting, like, even with the mediation, like, I'm working, like, I had mediation yesterday for five hours. I'm working the entire five hours, but we may, you know, I've got the attorneys and the parties in separate rooms, and when I go into another room, the attorney's able to still be on their computer and be efficient and get work done. Right. And maybe Absolutely. take off the clock and save them some money, but then go and work on somebody else's case. And, just, and all point. the driving time. Oh, my gosh. The, oh, the driving time. Our, our traffic is <laughs> There's just so much more efficiency by embracing the technology, but it also then helps the parties not get backlogged and bottlenecked. And then their levels of frustration while they're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting helps. Um, the other thing that I've noticed, too, is is with the bottleneck that has helped settle cases because it's like, well, you have your opportunity today to settle your case or sorry, you're not going to be in front of the judge for nine more months. And they're like nine months. I can't go through this for nine more months. Okay. And all of a sudden they, they then realize maybe I should compromise and create an agreement that I can live with. Well, I had a hearing yesterday. I was continuing a matter. The judge jumped on. It was a nine o'clock zoom. She jumped on like literally nine o'clock, which never happens. And then we take the bench on time. And I was done by nine Oh five. So, cause it got the continuance. If we were back pre pandemic, I would have had to drive an hour. I would have had to sit there for 45 minutes, yeah. finally get her and drive back an hour. So we've been three hours plus for five minutes. Yeah. So that, 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 and that, that's probably, that's true for everyone. So that, that's the efficiency. And I just hope, because my, my concern is this, as we get back to normal, and because lawyers are so slow in developing and embracing technology that they just, they just don't say because of the bottleneck, you know what, let's just bring everybody back to court, it'll be easier. And then all the efficiencies that it's we gone. can utilize from this pandemic to make us better practitioners, better lawyers, better judges, go by the wayside. That's my biggest fear, because they're so used to that system that I'm worried that when things come back to normal, they're going to forget, oh, you can use Zoom for that hearing. You don't have to have 300 people sit and wait for six hours. And I just, I just hope that we, we learn the lessons of the value of technology and how that got us through so much of this pandemic for legal services. We were able to do the Zooms. We were able to argue in front of appeals courts. We were able to do hearings with one party. We were able to argue motions. We were able to, to mediate and, and conciliate and get things done and without leaving the office. Mm-hmm. And we kept things moving. If we forget those lessons, yeah. we're, it, we're, we're never going to embrace the technology. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think it's a huge disservice to the industry. It's a huge disservice to us as individuals and especially to the, to, to, to the parties that we're helping or representing as well. Um, because it's, it's, it's just a, a cost for everybody. So, okay. So one more thing I wanted, I, I want to ask you before we switch gears again. Um, so, um, one of the things that I've noticed as a mediator and I hear from attorneys all the time dealing with the pandemic was, you know, when the pandemic hit, things shut down, jobs shut down, income was reduced or eliminated temporarily. 
so many people were running to court filing modifications of child support or alimony. And at least from what I kept hearing here in Florida with the, with, with the, uh, from the attorneys was so many of those were denied. Um, yes. Because, because they didn't reach in Florida, the, you know, the bar for, for a modification is a substantial material, permanent, unanticipated change in circumstance. Well, the judges were like, yeah, it's substantial. Yes, it's material. Yes, it's unanticipated, but it's not permanent. And so they were denied their modifications. Well, then a couple of attorneys of course, realized, wait a second, maybe we're filing the wrong thing. Maybe it's not a modification. Maybe it's an abatement. And all of a sudden, things were getting granted. You know, just, 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 just a simple shift from, we're not changing, we just need a temporary pause. Um, have you experienced any of that, noticed any of that, seen any, heard any of that? I, I would answer it this way. I think what, what I noticed is that judges have not wanted did not want to make decisions during the pandemic. Yeah. I think that they didn't know what was going on and they didn't know where it was going and they didn't know if it was temporal. And I think that, you know, I have I always tell a friend well, my friends are judges and I always tell judges, I think really the one the number one rule is the same rule in the medical community that you should always follow as a judge. And that's do no harm. And I think that they were concerned that because it was unclear when this would have a beginning, a middle, and an end, uh, it, it made it difficult to make substantial long-term changes like you, you refer to. Whereas a temporary order type stage where it was a temporal type thing, uh, like an abatement, would, would make more, more sense to lower supporters and lost their job. Uh, but I, I found that a lot of our cases I've had We've had difficulty getting judges to actually make rulings and decisions, or they've been very slow yeah. um, and, for, and forthcoming. So, and I and I think some of that might be by lack of staff, but other times I think some of them I, I really do believe is that judges wanted to wait out and see how things played out because to change somebody's alimony like permanently uh, in the middle of this when you know things could change back in six months to a year for three months or four months might, might be unfair, might create the case reappearing multiple times mm-hmm. to change it back. Whereas temporary type orders, I think were easier to obtain. I just found it across the board. I found it with, with, with going to court in the last year. Um, if anything, judges were very generally under temporary orders. I'm sure in Florida, you kind of implement the, the status quo. And I felt judges were much more inclined to yeah. not make decisions to keep the status quo pending, pending this. Yeah. Uh, that, 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 that was kind of my, my take on it. I think permanent, permanent changes during the, the yeah. pandemic, I think were more difficult for a judge to, to make. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so now I want to talk to you about um, just, you know, the agreements themselves and um um, basically, like what has changed with even drafting agreements, uh, the execution of agreements, how you guys are doing that. Um, have you, in, in your agreements, you know, since the pandemic, um, have, have you had to add special language, special things um, to your agreements? Or, or how, 
how does the the drafting of the agreements go post pandemic? Uh, well, yeah, I think I think here here and there, it, depending on the the arrangement or the business relationship or what was going to happen, if if it was affected by industries such as the pandemic, we've looked to sort of put in language to encompass, you know, taking a, a look back or doing a true up. So a true up of support or a true up of a business if it reaches certain um, parameters. So that that's kind of how we sort of approach some of the drafting. Uh, and then, you know, certainly everything's been, you know, by PDF, by electronic signature and stuff. We haven't had people really come to the office yet. Uh, had very few folks. Everything's been by, you know, like you said, by, by Zoom. Right. Uh, so going over agreements has, has been by Zoom, things sure. like that. But on the language issue, I think we've, we've tried to encompass that by uh, putting in specific language or, or parameters and agreements that, that deal with benchmarks or lookbacks or, or true-ups. But you do that anyway sometimes, but I think depending on what, what it was. But a lot of people have waited to, to get divorced or kind of pushed it, pushed it off to see how things come. I think we've definitely gotten some folks divorced uh, in the last year, certainly. Uh, but the ones that seem to have worked have been the ones that were less affected by the pandemic. The divorces that are, you know, like a restaurant business or, you know, catering business or something like that, that those kind of cases have been trickier because you can put in pre-COVID numbers, but put in post-COVID numbers. You can put in, uh, you know, some form of, uh, okay, if the restaurant grosses X, and, and that's more similar to the pre-pandemic. There's a bonus. There's sure. been different ways to do it. But now I think things, things change. We're living in an ever-changing, rapidly changing world where things change on a dime. Yeah. You know, things are getting better now. So now there's that, you know, what do you do? You know, we're back to where we are. I mean, you know, people are vaccinated. I got my, my second shot the other day. People, the courts are starting to reopen. I, I have a trial next month. So it seems like things are coming back. And because of that, it makes us on the drafting lane. Well, maybe something I would have drafted six months ago is no longer relevant. And so maybe we need, we need to either not put it in or, or wait. I kind of see that return to sort of quote unquote normal, whatever that is. Yeah. yeah I had, um, I, I did, speaking of just the valuations, I had one recently where the, um, the husband sold credit card machines to businesses. Well, when the businesses are closed, he's not exactly going into the business to sell. So now trying to even just to figure out his income for child support purposes, it's like, okay. So then, you know, pre, and so then, you know, the courts, you know, or his, his attorneys were like, well, you know, let's, let's do a look back. Let's look back at the last three years of tax returns. Well, you know, there was a good year. There was a okay year. Now, of course, 2020 was a bad year. And so, of course, you know, his attorney wants his worst year. Her attorney wants his best year. And, of course, as a mediator, what am I doing? Why don't we average the three? Yeah, average it up. That's all you can do. the best you can do. Yeah. And that, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of stuff you have to do to get it done. Yeah. You know, to, to see. But then the question, well, you know, is that – how fair is that, right? Because for both parties, right? I mean, exactly. for the recipient, well, you get in that worst year, but what happens next year? So I think you have to be creative to look forward to, this, you know, what happens next year? You might have to do something, you know, maybe not do normally where 
you take a look at that and that maybe it's a rolling average. You gotta you gotta think outside the box a little bit to get things done right now. But then that right now, everything changes so quickly. It's like, do you really want to do it right now? Right? I mean, people want to get divorced, but does it does it make sense to wait, you know, another quarter or two to see if things are the business is able to go and sell the credit card machines again so he's making the money and if they Mm -hmm. want to get divorced you know maybe that needs to be factored in uh because that might be more of a true reflection of income who knows i mean it's just it's it's tough but i I think that it's changed so rapidly yeah exactly and i think that that's i think that's a lesson too the pandemic is that you can't panic right yeah. You have to kind of, you know, that was part of it is you kind of have to that do no harm and sort of figure it out as you go and, and make sure that it's not an equitable, a pre to post COVID um, financial valuation or, or whatnot, or income stream, you know, you, it skews it so much that temporal event that if it, it you know, but then there's people that maybe it's not going to come back, right? Sure. If you own some restaurants, maybe they, aren't going to come back and that that you have to look at too i think those are the ones that have more of an impact ultimately in, in terms of how you do things is if somebody it, it has been so impacted it's not such a it's not a temporal event it's yeah. a it's a lasting closing of a business where you're not going to be in the same situation as you were pre-covid and then well, and i think that becomes and that, and that particular guy was arguing that because since covid everybody has switched now to like uh, Square or right. PayPal, like they're not buying machines. Like everything's just plug it into your phone. So really, is anyone going to be buying his equipment anymore? Like, so that exactly. was one of the things that we were talking about. The other thing was just, just like you said, like, okay, well, is it fair to determine a number now? And then he's got that, you know, substantial material, unanticipated permanent change to modify later. So what we did to help both of them out was we built in there that for the next two years on April 20th, they'll exchange tax returns. So it wasn't this indefinite, like they're, they have to always exchange tax right. returns, but you know what, to help them get through this, to see if there's going to be a change. And then we said, and then we looked at the statute said, okay, well, the courts allow for a 5% deviation. So we're like, okay, well, what would that look like? We then they negotiated on a little bit more, you know, by agreement, just help them think outside the box, get creative. So That's that they have to at least breathe, feel like it's not, you know, it's not fair, unfair, but it's an agreement that they can live with. Exactly. Um, That's what it's about, ultimately, right? When you're doing that, yeah. it's about fairness and getting people to closure. Yeah. That's, you have to be creative to do that, particularly in, in light of what's gone on in the world in the last year. Yeah, and some of the some some of the stuff that I've had to add to my agreements um, just to help with the parties. Um, as as you know, they come to mediation and then they're arguing over things. Well, then, well, when you know when I get more than two or three people arguing over the same thing, I'm like, okay, we're going to add this to the agreement to help everybody because you guys are not the anomaly, right? So exactly. You know, so so for example, you know, like when 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 they're choosing, like you know, who's going to get the dependency exemption for the child. Well, what kept coming up was, well, they took my Coronavirus Cares Act payment, or they took. Oh yes, that was a good payment, thing, right? right? Yes. And so right. I actually built that into my agreement now that says, okay, look, you know, if they're each, you know, claiming a child, of course that's factored into the child support. So guess what? Each, you know, whatever credits they get 
And it says the Coronavirus CARES Act payment or any future additional federal or state payment. Because, you know, as, as we've switched administrations and we went from a Coronavirus CARES Act and now we've got, you know, other stimulus, we don't want to say, okay, it's only this. And then someone sees a loophole and says, but they didn't talk about well, that. They didn't get that. They didn't get the, the Biden credit or whatever. Right. And so, <laughs> yeah, it was a Trump credit. Now it's a Biden credit. And so, and so you know, I've, I've added language to help guide them through this crisis as well as any other potential uh, thing. Same thing with like day-to-day decision-making. Um, and, and I think you had brought it up um, uh, previously where, you know, like make up time if a parent is not feeling comfortable with allowing the time sharing or whatnot. And so I've built into the agreement that, you know, the parents as well as the children will adhere to all state and or federal government uh, orders, um, right. including but not limited to, and I list them, social distancing, exercising, personal hygiene, facial covering, shelter in place. You know, there you go. All of it. Just go to the CDC website. And <laughs> right. And, you know, and, and I put all of it in order to create a safe environment for the child. That's all best interest of the child, which is the standard. Yep. But then, but then I, I like put that. in there, then I put in there that in the event that like there's a shelter in place order, stay at home order, or like in Florida, we have hurricane evacuations. Um, then the parent who is entitled to a timeshare will get makeup time within 30 days of the ending of the shelter in place, stay at home order, hurricane evac. That way there's a little bit of guidance for them. So they're not arguing, filing motions for contempt enforcement. Um, yep. so I, build okay. these, I build these into my parenting plan. Same thing with like travel, even just like out of state, out of country travel. I just kept getting that a lot going, well, they think it's fine to get on a plane. I'm scared to walk out of my house, right? Right, right. That so, happens a lot. So, you know, I put in there, you know, that they can travel so long as there's no travel restrictions recommended mm-hmm. or imposed by state or federal government. Because like, you know, for a while there, even they were setting up different borders, wouldn't allow travelers from other states to come in and, you know, just trying to add these things. One of the other things I kept ending up with, I don't know if you've had, was, you know, when, when the school shut down. Oh, yeah. Like, Pick up drop off was at school, and now there's no more school. Now it's at their homes. And that was then, a big deal. Yeah, that, know, that, and, that did come up. And so I've built that in to okay, it's you know that it's at their it's typically at, at their school, but if the home is the school, then they'll have the child at the home. Um, so you know, in enough time to where the child can log in, be you know ready for class. So these are the you know just due to the pandemic. We've had to adjust the plans to address the different issues that keep coming up that affect the time sharing or, you know, because I don't, I want to be as preventative as maintenance as possible as a mediator and be Mm -hmm. proactive so that the parties aren't constantly having to go to court and doing damage control. We we have that problem too, snow days. We have snow, you don't have that problem in Florida, but we have snow day provisions. Yeah, the parent can't get, you know, do I bring my child in the middle of a snowstorm to the other parent? So that sometimes gets built into our agreements and that time is then made up in 30 days like you're talking about very similar. Well, it seems like some of these inclusions are, well, not snow and and weather and things like that, but some of the inclusions that Matthew, like you mentioned that you've now made post COVID, some will, you know, might remain relevant, but there are a lot of them that may not. Um, You know, what, what inclusions to your agreements are you foreseeing being maybe permanent or maybe some that are just temporary, you know, five years down the line, we may not be debating about, you know, 
the stimulus check or, you know what I mean? So like, which ones do you foresee being, you know, being present down the line and which ones do you foresee kind of losing their, their traction? Well, hopefully we won't have another pandemic, but it, it's certainly, you know, impossible that there's going to be sort of an event that, you know, that happens, you know, again. And so I, I think that kind of language, the, the pandemic type language in a planning plan or, you know, a state emergency type language or whatever mm-hmm. to follow state and, and federal guidance and rules relative to the pairing, pairing time. I think, I think that's a, that's a, that's a keeper, right? Yeah. You know, we, don't, we haven't had a pandemic in a hundred years. Yeah. So there's probably the intervening hundred years. Nobody Seriously. put that, nobody thought about a pandemic or thought about that. Well, we don't have to wear masks. We're going to have to not go to school and be virtual. And, you know, how does that affect parents? So I think, I think that's a keeper. I think that kind of language is great. I think that that stays in, um, you know, the financial language probably too might, might stay in, you know, if there's other type events. So those are, those are good things because you're constantly looking for, as Matthew points out, things so that folks aren't fighting about, you know, so that right. you try you try you can't anticipate everything. I don't think there's anybody probably a parent right. plan that Being dealt with as preventative as you can. But you want to be as preventive as you can. And I think that's the lesson here is that there are major type events that may negatively affect the parenting. And there's a lot of people that were fighting about those, those issues and not bringing mm-hmm. kids, you know, same as snow days or, or hurricane and state emergencies. And that type of stuff is good language that should go into agreements and, and is probably uh, might be relevant, you know, in the future and right. kind of build you build your agreements based on the lessons of the past mm-hmm. uh, to in, in make your agreements more relevant in the future. And so I think right. those are, those are good things. Um, you know, things that might go away. I, I think that I think we're just going to see kind of a general statement, a groundswell return to normalcy. I just, I think that, that. Lawyers, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to go back and I think, you know, I, I just hope we continue to use technology and Zoom and all those things as best we can. I worry that we're not going to learn enough lessons from pandemic and, you know, we're doomed to repeat. Uh, we don't learn from the past. We're going to make the same mistakes in the future. And I just I just hope that we become more effective uh, advocates by taking some of the lessons that, that we've learned, by sure. making our agreements better and applying you know, looking for those pitfalls or, or future events that might cause uh, contentious relationships so that children aren't exposed to, to the parenting because of a, a thing like a global pandemic. Yeah. seems like these agreements are just getting longer and longer. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, they are. They, they are. Mm-hmm. But, but hopefully they're getting better and better too. Yeah, no, that's true. It's very true. Well, and my goal, you know, as, as, as a mediator, as I said, you know, my goal is to be as preventative as possible because in the long run, um, as, as Matthew, as you have stated, you know, that preserves the family unit, even though mm-hmm. it's being restructured and it, and it looks different, but it still preserves the family unit, protects the child, keeps the parties out of court, you know, un, you know doesn't clog the system, doesn't unnecessarily waste taxpayer dollars to fund the system. I mean, it creates a win-win, which is why, you know, when, when I was adding, you know, this type of language, I wanted it to address in a general format, 
that could apply to, you know, COVID or could apply to a different pandemic or right. could apply to martial law or like right. whatever may be there that life may happen. We now have preventative maintenance so that when, because one of the things that we saw was as soon as COVID happened, common sense went out the window and crazy became the rule of law. And That's so true. if we have these guidelines already there, I think it creates peace and comfort for people to know, okay, these are the parameters I can live within. When mm-hmm. the world looks crazy, I have an agreement that actually gives me calm and gives me mm-hmm. a sense of being and, you know, can also give hope. I mean, that's the whole point of, of you know, the podcast. That's the whole point of, you know, even what I do as a mediator is to try to transition people to a place of, hey, you've got hope. This is not the end. It's just a new beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, very well said. Totally true. I think that's, that's what, you know, divorce lawyers, family law lawyers are really doing, right? You're giving, that's a good way to put it. You're, you're helping people move on so that there, there's hope and to new beginnings. Occasionally, Sydney and I will be releasing Q&A bonus episodes where we will answer your questions and give you a personal shout out. If you have a comment or question regarding anything that we discuss, email us at info at iChatMediation.com. That's info at iChat, I-C-H-A-T, mediation.com and stay tuned to hear your shout out and have your question answered here on the show for more information about my services or to schedule your mediation with me either in person or using my iChat mediation virtual platform built by cisco communications visit me online at imediateinc.com call me at 561-262-9121 toll free at 877-822-1479 or email me at mbrickman at iChatMediation.com.